You are Locked On Tigers, your daily Detroit Tigers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Locked On Tigers. I'm, of course, your host, Scott Bentley. Today is Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. March 4th. Man, this year's already flying by. 2022. Still have to consciously think of 22. Still almost say 21 every single time. Thanks for making Locked On Tigers your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast. Today, we got a fun little show for you. Uh, We are going to compare the 2003 Detroit Tigers to the 2019 Detroit Tigers. They have so much in common and yet so much not in common. They have so many similarities and so many opposites. It's really fascinating to kind of take a deep dive on. So we are going to do that. And then our third segment is going to be continuing the MLB host locked on series, which is going through in ranking. Your team, different facets of your team compared to uh, the other four teams in your division. So today we are going to be comparing the Detroit Tigers bullpen to the rest of the AL Central and figuring out where we think our bullpen ranks amongst the ALC. All right. But first, we are going to do a fun little comparison. We did have uh, in present day Tigers times, we did have a little scrimmage. Played, I guess you would call it a little mini camp game played by the guys down there. Um, there was some video going out. We can break that all down next week because they are going to play again this weekend. So I figured we'd let them play a couple of games and then we can kind of break down the, the standouts and whatnot after we have a few uh, mini camp games under our belt. So today we are just comparing and contrasting the 2003 Tigers to the 2019 Tigers. Uh, the 2003 Detroit Tigers, of course, infamously went 43 and 119, whereas the 2019 Tigers went 47 and 114. A lot of losses, man. Goodness gracious. So basically how this started was I wanted to do this thing on my Twitter where uh, while we were waiting for the lockout to end, which has no end in sight, they met today and met for like an hour and that was it. And apparently nothing got done. Not even going to talk about it except for right then. And uh, so I wanted to do this thing on my Twitter where I was tweeting out like fun videos of Tiger's past and just not like the the super big moments, like the the mainstream. I want to be a little hipster with it. You know what I'm saying? Like I I don't want to be super... Uh, you know, all the, all the Maglio Homer and like big moments like that, or Mickey walking off the field after he gets the triple crown in Kansas City. I wanted to find fun videos and, and try and tweet like one a day or something like that. Fun videos of, of Tiger's past that maybe are, are kind of forgotten about. And I decided for today's video that I was going to tweet the walk-off strikeout in game 161 of the 2003 season. And as I'm, it's such a great video, by the way. Incredible call by Frank Beckman, man. Rest in peace. That's a that's a Detroit legend. Rest in peace, man. Uh, so it was, it was cool to see him on the call, hear him on the call, uh, and just all around great electric factory. Like the stadium's low key, like kind of filled 
because everyone's trying to see. We, we went on a little bit of a win streak for those who, who are either too young to remember or uh, just don't remember, period, and try and block that year out of their brain completely. Uh, the Detroit Tigers, okay, leading up to the sixth to last game of the season, okay? So going into game 157, going into that game, so before it was played, they had lost 10 straight games. They were 38 and 118 with six games to play. And no one wanted to hit 120 because that would be that would be all-time bad. And 119 is still, I, I believe, the worst record in American League history and still like one of the worst teams ever comfortably. But it was really, really a big deal to have them not hit 120. And with six games left, they were 38 and 118, and had just lost 10 straight games. All right. They head into game 157. They win. And they win big. They win 15 to 6 against the Royals. All right. Mike Moroth on the on the mound. Hell yeah, baby. Mike Moroth's the dog. Game 158. They win again. Squeaker, 4 to 3. They're now 40. And 118 with four games left, heading into game 159. Game 159, they win on a walk-off, 5-4. to four. That's a three-game win streak. We now have three games left. And we are going into that game 41-118. and 118. We just need to not lose two of the next three, which is a tall task for this team. They lose the first game of the Twins series. And by the way, this is also like not even the good Twins team. The Twins were prepping for the postseason. They had benched a majority of their starters. They were like, you know what? We can probably bench everybody and still sweep these guys. Uh, their bench players were better than a lot of our starters. Okay? Especially when it came to pitching. So we dropped the first one 4-5. to five. Two games left. We're 41-119. Game 161. Your Detroit Tigers are down eight to nothing. We're thinking, all right, we're gonna lose 120, and we're gonna do it in Comerica. This is absolutely devastating. And then we go on a little bit of a run, knock the ball around the yard a little bit, come back. It's now eight to eight in the bottom of the ninth inning. Alex Sanchez gets walked, and he steals two bases. And he's at third base <laughs> with Warren Morris, College World Series legend, by the way. If you don't know about Warren Morris, uh, hit a bottom of the ninth, two-out, walk-off home run in 1996 for LSU to win the College World Series. Like the definition of a college baseball legend, Warren Morris is. Okay, Warren Morris comes up. Swings at a curveball that he could not have hit with a boat paddle. It is so far out of the strike zone, in fact, that the catcher can't even block it. It just goes awry. Goes way off to the right. Goes all the way to the backstop. And Alex Sanchez scores. And they get a walk-off strikeout to erase an eight-run deficit. Walk-off strikeout. And then they would go on and comfortably, honestly, win game 162 and not have the, the final out. Routine ground ball to third base uh, over to Carlos Pena then at first. And, uh, and, and they avoid the 120-loss season. 
by winning five of their last six, capitalized by the game 161 walk-off strikeout. So it's an incredible moment, and it, it's it's such a – I know it's an 119-loss team, but, man, like, that's – that that's that's our Tigers, baby. Like that's I I love that video so much. Everybody was so happy. The call is fantastic. The stadium gets loud, like loud, loud. Uh, there were still quite a few people there. Not only was this an 119 lost team, this was an 119 lost team that was down eight to nothing in this game. I and and the fact that they still had quite a few fans in the stands and and it got that loud is very impressive to me. Just all around an awesome moment. All right. And it just got me thinking of the the 2003 versus the, the 2019 team and which team was worse. The 2003 Tigers obviously losing five more games, but the, it, it's fascinating to me how differently bad they were. They were. They were bad in such different ways, but they were both horrible. And that's what we're going to break down in segment number two. But first, I got to tell y'all about Built Bar. It's the time of year where a lot of people have given up on their New Year's resolutions, but not this year if your resolution is to eat right. And that's thanks to Built Bar. It almost feels like it's not really a resolution because everybody, myself included, actually enjoys eating them. If you haven't tried the Puffs, you have to. You're missing out on one of Built Bar's best tasting bars. Puffs are the first ever protein-infused marshmallow. They're fluffy, they're marshmallowy, they're not just a protein bar, they're a treat, and they're covered in 100% real chocolate. Puffs are a fan favorite with some incredible flavors. Yummy, cinnamony, churro, coconut marshmallow, banana cream pie, they're so unbelievably good. These are going to be your new favorite. All Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate, the Puffs included. That's 100% real chocolate. Low calorie, high protein. Replace your candy bars with these. They're better. A typical candy bar can be anywhere from two to three hundred calories. Most built bars contain 130 calories, four grams of sugar, four net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. And when you compare that to the candy bar, it usually has like 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs. Mint brownie, coconut, coconut almond, and new for this month, white chocolate cookies and cream. They are all delicious, and new flavors are coming out all the time. If they think a flavor might be good, they'll make it. It will be delicious, and it will be good for you. Because at Built Bar, they are all about the taste. They make it taste delicious first, and then figure out how to make it healthy. And I don't know how, but they pull it off every single time. So go to Built.com right now and use promo code LOCK15 and get 15% off of your order. That's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, everybody, we are back here for segment two at Locked On Tigers. Thanks for making Locked On Tigers your first listen every day. Check out Locked On MLB Prospects. Host Lindsey Crosby is a prospect encyclopedia. Cool guy, too. And he's going deep on the MLB stars of tomorrow. It's free and available wherever you get your podcast. We're going to have a lot of minor league baseball coming up. So even though... You know, Major League Baseball, we they got their issues. We're not going to be playing for quite a while. You do have your minor league baseball. You'll get all your Tigers minor league information here, and you can get your all minor league prospects, all the best prospects and stuff over there. It's going to be really cool, and Lindsey's a great guy. Okay, so let's get into our comparison between these two teams, both horrible. No one's going to make the argument that either of these teams are good. We want to get that out right, right away. All right. The, I mean, these teams won 43 and, uh, and what, 47 games respectively, okay? 
So not we're, we're not going to come on here and say that either of these teams were good. It's just the fascinating part to me is that they were so bad in different ways. So the 2003 team, right, when you look at the offense, again, yes, it was bad, but they actually had some decent offensive production from some players. I mean, first off, first and foremost, Dimitri Young was actually incredible this year. Uh, It's kind of a shame, in all honesty, that Dimitri, like this good of a season, was wasted on this bad of a team. Let let me read you Dimitri Young's 2003 stats, okay? Because they're unbelievable. He was mostly his designated hitter, by the way, and still almost had a four-war season. For those who are familiar with war, you, you realize how how impressive you have to be with a bat in your hands to have a war of like over three at the designated hitter position because you don't get any contribution from defense. Dimitri Young's stats, 2003. He had a 297 batting average, a 372 on base percentage, a 537 slugging percentage, which equals a 909 OPS. That's a 144 OPS plus. A team that lost 119 games had a hitter in the middle of their lineup that was 44% above league average. He had 29 home runs, 58 walks, only 130 strikeouts, which honestly for the for having a 909 in today's game, that would be considered relatively low for, uh, for a power hitter in the middle of a lineup. But, I mean, 34 doubles, 29 home runs. And the craziest part is, this is why RBIs don't matter to me, okay? Because he had a 909 OPS with 29 home runs and had 85 RBIs because no one on this team in front of him was really great at getting on base or getting into scoring position, okay? A lot of solo shots for Demetri Young this season, okay? But I just find it fascinating that that a team that was this bad had someone who was unbelievable at the plate. He was an all-star this season, and one of his only two all-star seasons in his career. He he would have another all-star season in 2007 uh, with the Nationals right after he left Detroit and had like an 870 OPS that season. So, Dimitri Young... The, the meat hook, baby. That's the dawn. That, Dimitri Young is one of my first favorite players ever. Uh, this is this this is like my introduction to the Detroit Tigers was an 119 loss team. I was five years old at the time and tickets were ridiculously cheap. Uh, so that's, I, I, I straight up, quick sidebar, I, I, I really do accredit the 2003 Tigers being so bad as the reason that I love baseball so much because... Of that, they were so bad. The tickets were so cheap, and my mom and dad both loved baseball, and so we were able to go. I literally don't remember my first Tiger game. I've just like always been at Comerica Park every summer, and I truly think that a reason that that helped was because <laughs> of how unbelievably easy it was to go to Tiger games when I was uh, very very young. Anyway. Dimitri Young, phenomenal season, right? So when you and, and when we look at the rest of the offense, okay, Dimitri Young is a three and a half war season. This is baseball reference war, by the way. 
Demetri Young, three-and-a-half war season. Warren Morris, a 1.7 war season. Eric Munson, one-and-a-half war. Shane Halter, 1.3 war. Carlos Pena, 1.3 war. Craig Monroe, one more. And then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight, nine or ten other bats that were positive war. Again, this is not a good team. I'm not trying to make the argument that this team's good, but they actually had a fair amount of of pretty decent, not decent, that's not even the word, above replacement level offensive talent. And they had one, two, three, four, five, six players that had over a, a one war seasons. Highlighted, obviously, by Dimitri Young, who was incredible. The reason that this team was horrible was because of pitching. The pitching was atrocious. Nate Cornejo had a one and a half war this season. And pitching war is already kind of whack. I don't really like it very much, but it's the easiest way to get all one number to kind of prove my point here. He has one and a half war. After that, that's the only pitcher that had over one war. You have Jamie Walker coming out of the bullpen having a one-war season. He appeared in 78 games. Shout out Jamie Walker, by the way. That is my mom's, one of my mother's favorite Detroit Tigers of all time. So shout out mama and, and shout out the cat, Jamie Walker. The lefty specialist would come out of the pen and face one batter and then he would get pulled. Uh, so yeah, that, that just, quick shout out there. Jamie Walker's the dog. So he had a one-war. And then every other pitcher on the team had less than half a war. And there is double digits, one, two, three, yeah, double digit pitchers on this team that had negative war. Highlighted by Jeremy Bonderman at 20 years old, who had a negative 1.1 war season. So you have horrible pitching. You don't have a good offense, but you don't have an 119 loss offense. But when it's paired with one of the worst pitching staffs in the history of Major League Baseball, you're going to get a 119-loss team. Whereas when you go fast forward then to 2019, horrible team for the exact opposite reason. The Detroit Tigers offense, the best hitter on the 2019 Tigers, as most remember, was Nico Goodrum, who had a one-and-a-half war season. Victor Reyes had a 1.4 war season. Nick Castellanos had a one-war season, and then everybody else was half a war or worse. Highlighted by Travis Demerit, who uh, somehow accumulated negative 1.2 war in only 48 games. Gordon Beckham, negative 1.2 in 83 games. Josh Harrison, people forget he was even a Tiger. 36 games, negative one war. In 36 games. He was negative one war. Harold Castro, negative one war. Dewell Lugo, negative one war. Uh, Bobby Wilson, catching legend, negative 0.7 war. Jake Rogers was terrible. Grayson Griner is Grayson Griner. I mean, Ronnie Rodriguez, negative war. Brandon Dixon. Brandon Dixon. This is crazy, okay? Brandon Dixon led the 2019 Detroit Tigers in home runs. He was the team. Brandon Dixon led a baseball team in home runs. And he was worth negative 0.5 war. Do you understand how bad of a team you have to be to have your team's season-long home run leader have negative war? My goodness, what a joke. 
How how is this even possible? Mikey Matuk had negative half a win in only nine games played. Like just new depths, and then Miguel Cabrera had exactly zero war. Just finding new ways to lose. Jamer Candelario, the fifth best hitter on the team, 0.2 war. Jordy Mercer, 0.5. So a horrible offense, a a terrible offense. But the pitching, again, not going to say it was good. However, it was actually competent. And it was not 114 loss bad. You had Matt Boyd, who had a phenomenal first half of the season, as we all remember. Should have been traded, by the way, but it's fine. I'm not mad about it. We can get into that. That can be a topic for a different day. We can break down why Matthew Boyd should have been traded in 2019 and how it's an absolute joke that he wasn't. But he had a three and a half win season. Very, very good year. Specifically the first half. He, he was straight up one of the best left-handed pitchers in baseball in the first half of the season. Daniel Norris, almost a three-win season. For as much as Daniel Norris was kind of clowned on toward the end of his career, a a really not a bad, I mean, almost a three-win season, man. Not a bad year at all. Spencer Turnbull. Pretty sure Spencer Turnbull led the American League in losses this year and had a 2.2-win season. Now, everybody knows Spencer, that, that knows me. Spencer Turnbull, that that's the dog. Spencer Turnbull, uh, top twenty Turnbull, the hashtag of uh, of last year. I I will take to the grave that Spencer Turnbull has unbelievably an unbelievably high ceiling and has elite potential. He's got such nasty stuff. I love Spencer Turnbull. Two point two WAR, and and like I said, I'm I'm reasonably sure that he led the American League in losses that year. He had like 19 or 20 or 21 losses somewhere around there. Shane Green, the closer that we traded at the trade deadline, was fourth on the team in WAR, pitching and offense included, with 1.7. He had an unreal first half for us. Buck Farmer out of the pen, 1.4 WAR. So that's one, two, three. That's five pitchers that are a win and a half. Or better war. And then you have Tyler Alexander worth a win. Nick Ramirez even almost worth a win. Matt Moore pitched in like two games, but was good in those two games, I guess. Joe Jimenez was positive war at least. And I know we're, again, I I, I don't want to sound like a broken record. I'm not trying to argue that these teams are, that this is like a good pitching staff. Because at, at the end of the day, we're talking about, you know, half a war being an accomplishment. But, it, it it's just it, it was fascinating to me to to compare these two side by side and and realize that they were both terrible and for the exact opposite reasons one had a while it wasn't a good offense it was competent and it it was highlighted by an all-star caliber player that put up offensive numbers that that would get a lot of people into MVP conversations i mean over a 900 OPS for Demetri Young that year and a few other guys that, that were at least serviceable. And just one of the worst pitching staffs you've ever seen in your life. And then in 2019, we have a pitching staff that is not bad. You have Matt Boyd, who, like I said, was one of the best lefties in, in all of baseball in the first half. And the rest of the staff was was competent. It was more than competent. Mm, more than competent to stretch. It was competent. And then just truly one of the worst offenses you have ever seen in your life. If you put those two teams together, let's say 
What do you? How many wins do you think that team gets? That'll be you guys tweet at me tomorrow, or you can DM me if you don't want your your stuff being public. Either way, I'm, I just want to see. Tweet at either. Well, tweet at the, at the Lockdown Tigers Twitter account, and I'll, I'll retweet you and stuff, and reply to you or whatever. Tweet at the Lockdown Tigers Twitter account. How many wins you think a team gets? That is the 2019 pitching staff in the 2003 offense. If anybody says over 70 games, I'm not retweeting you. Because, again, we're really picking hairs here. They were both still historically bad. But if you put those two together, maybe you get like a 95 loss team instead. And you just get, you know, you're, you're one of the worst teams in baseball. You get a top five, maybe a top three pick. 95 losses might even be pushing it. 98? 98? Lo- I mean, we've, we've seen 98 lost teams, right? I mean, the the we lost 98, what, two, three years in a row? At the end of the, the 20 teens there? I don't know. I'm, I'm, now I'm trying to think if that roster would be better or worse than those rosters. Not good, but I, I just found it fascinating, so I just want to break that down a little bit. We will get into ranking where the Tigers' bullpen is, falls uh, amongst the AL Central after I tell you all about BetOnline.net. Football might be over this season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props, to where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. It's not just basketball either. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, UFC odds, and everything in between. So head to the website or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, everybody, welcome back to our third and final segment here at Locked On Tigers. We're going to quickly just go over... And, uh, and rank where we think the Tigers fall in terms of their bullpen going into the 2022 season that may or may not be played. Okay, So for starters, we're going to do what we, we usually do and get the easy ones out of the way. The White Sox rotation is at the top. This is a very, very, sorry, bullpen, goodness. The White Sox bullpen is is very solid and is highlighted by their back end of Kimbrell and Hendricks. That's an unbelievable back end of your bullpen. I mean, Bummer is really good. Uh, Crochet, good. Lopez, solid. Evan Marshall, solid. Uh, I mean, I mean, you they they have a really really good bullpen there, uh, and it's highlighted by two of the best relievers in all of baseball being their eighth and ninth inning guys. So it's going to be really hard to top that. And it's one thing to have, you know, a really solid guy at the back end or two really solid guys at the back end, but really their entire bullpen has has some names and has some dogs in it. That is going to be one of the bright spots for the White Sox this upcoming season, and it was the in in the in last season. Goodness, I can barely talk all of a sudden in the previous season as well. So White Sox out of the way early. One of the uh, one of the better bullpens in all of baseball, and obviously in the American League Central Division. At the bottom, now here's the interesting thing with the Tigers: is we saw a bullpen last year that had was split in half. 
They had four guys that they went to all the time in close games and four guys they went to when it didn't really look like we were going to win. We're in low leverage situations, I guess, if you want to say, right? You had Gregory Soto, Michael Fulmer, Jose Cisnero, Kyle Funkhauser. Those four were the guys that you went to in your high leverage situations. And Gregory Soto was the highest of high leverage. He wasn't, AJ Hinch, I'm not sure, really believes in a closer, or at least we don't have anybody on this team that deserves just the ball in the ninth inning every single day, right? But Gregory Soto was going up against the, the best part of the lineup in the final three innings of the game, whenever that came around, right? So it's, it's interesting to me that we had, A, that division. We had a very clear four-man bullpen, two, two bullpens, really. Um, it, it was pretty fascinating to watch unfold. Cisnero had a great year. Fulmer had a great year. Funkhauser really impressed a lot of people and, and for about three quarters of the year had a really solid season. So when, when you're looking at this bullpen, those four guys is really, you're finding out where those four guys rank. Because outside of that, it gets pretty weak pretty quickly. Joe Jimenez, while he did have moments last year where he kind of maybe looked like he was going to try to be the Joe Jimenez that we thought was going to be after 2019 or after 2018, uh, is still pretty shaky, and, and I'm not sure there's a lot of trust there. Um, I guess, do we even include Ronnie Garcia into this? Probably not. Um that, I mean, that, that's kind of it. Like Alex Lang, I would assume that he's going to get a lot more of a look this upcoming season. For those who, who know me and, and have followed me for a while, know I'm a big Alex Lang fan. Really nasty stuff. All comes down to command with him. Uh, he fits right in perfectly with this bullpen that is full of nasty stuff and no command, right? So I, I, I think a lot, it's really hard for me to judge the Tigers bullpen because A, a lot of the guys, their first good full seasons were in 2021. Funkhauser, Soto, uh, I, I mean, Fulmer in a bullpen role, right? It, this was their, their first full good season out of the pen. And so it's, A, hard for me to judge those guys. And if they're going to take another step forward, they're maybe going to sag back a little bit. If they're going to be exact, you know, we are who they thought they were kind of moment. And then looking at the rest of the bullpen is just a complete wild card. I mean, a, a total free-for-all at the present moment. So it's, it's, it's very difficult to pinpoint where this, this bullpen has a pretty high ceiling. If Gregory Soto takes another big step forward, which he's more than capable of doing, if Fulmer continues to, to prove that he's a good back-end reliever, if Funkhauser takes another step forward, if Cisnero continues to be what he's been really since we acquired him, he's been a an Avila bright spot for sure. If Alex Lang can can take a step forward and kind of establish himself, this bullpen has the potential to be really solid and one of the better bullpens in this division, but it also has has maybe one of the lowest floors in the entire division as well. Gregory Soto doesn't find his command. Michael Fulmer continues with injury problems, knock on wood, or just the, the bullpen role isn't really suited for him. Jose Cisnero, age is finally catching up with him. We saw him tail off at the end of last season. Maybe he starts showing signs of slowing down. 
Kyle Funkhauser was just a one-hit wonder. He's actually what he's been for the last six years as a professional. Six, I think, is too many. Four or five years as a professional and, and what he was in 2020 in 2020 and not what he was in 2021. Alex Lang never finds his command. Joe Jimenez, it proves to, to not be able to take that step forward. And again, we are who we thought they were kind of moment. And the rest of the fillers are just aren't very good. I mean, this does have the potential to be the worst bullpen in the AL Central. It does. But it also, I think, has the potential to probably be the third best bullpen in the division. The White Sox are at the top. There's no arguing that. I think the Twins are interesting because they have Taylor Rodgers and Tyler Duffy's there at the back end, right? But then after that, their bullpen gets pretty shaky pretty quickly. Uh, there are not very many names back there, and, and it's going to be, uh, in, in my eyes, kind of a, a – what's the phrase I'm thinking of? Not a circus. That's that's just offensive. A, um, a, a carousel. Yeah, carousel. A lot of guys getting filtered through. I think it's going to be kind of a, a by-committee thing. You're going to see a lot of bullpen arms for the Twins get called up and sent down this season. But they have a staple at the back end in, in Rodgers and Duffy, who, who both had very solid careers and, and solid years last year, right? So it, it, it's tough for me to pinpoint exactly where I think the Tigers fall into this because the the twins have have two relatively established guys rogers being being pretty established at the back end of theirs and then kind of have a free for all then you have the royals who have scott barlow i guess at the back end he had a good season last year a very solid year um josh stallman had had a really solid year last year for them and then after that it gets really shaky for the for the royals really quickly I mean, you're, you're talking about one of their more... They're, they're going to have another by committee kind of thing. A lot of dudes being called up and sent down in their pen as well. So the the Tigers have, at, have four solid relievers from last year's team coming back this year, but it's hard to pinpoint how good they are going to be. Whereas these other teams seem to have... Everybody seems to have two. I mean, e- even the Guardians... They, I mean, they have Klasse and Karinchek, who are, again, two of the better relievers in all of baseball. But then after that, it, it gets pretty shaky for the Guardians pretty quickly. Now, they don't need an incredible deep bullpen because they have an incredible rotation and they're just going to pump out you know, quality starts and then just hand it off to, to Karinchek and Klasse at the end of the games. But uh, so, so I'm going to put the Guardians at two. The White Sox at one. I think then, man, I'm going to put the Royals at five. I think I got to put the Twins at, at three and the Tigers at four. And and it's just for, for, for Taylor Rogers. Have I been saying Tyler? Taylor Rogers. I feel like I've accidentally been saying Tyler. I'm correcting myself. Taylor Rogers. It's tough, man. It's really tough. If if I had to to at the end of the season bullpen ERA or bullpen WAR, bullpen FIP, whatever stat you want to use, at the end of the season, if I had to put my money somewhere using BetOnline.net, I would put it at, at four. But 
th- this team could very easily be three. And I think it could pretty easily be five. But for now, we're going to go with four. That's going to be my final answer. Lock it in. Okay? So that is your Detroit Tigers bullpen rank amongst AL Central teams. We're going a little bit long on time here. I apologize for that. Thanks for making Locked On Tigers your first listen every day. Make your second listen, Locked On MLB. Paul Francis Sullivan, please call him Sully, brings you his unique perspective on the major leagues, both present and past. It's free and available wherever you get your prospects. Hopefully you guys feel what I'm what I'm saying with the bullpen, man. It, it, it really is hard to, to pick an exact spot because it, it could be anything. They could have a really high ceiling. I could even see them having the second best bullpen in the AL Central if enough dudes take steps forward. But, I, I mean, I could very easily see them going back a step, too. It, it really is anything could happen. Um, and I'm, I'm going to play it safe and pick right there in the middle of, uh, of three and five and, and just uh, <laughs> play it safe a little bit. Hopefully this was a fun show. We're, we're going to be coming out with some unique content in the midst of this lockout, man. We're all going through it. So thanks for rocking with me. Thanks for coming back. Going to therapy's dope. Peace and love. And I will catch you all on Monday. Go Tigers, baby.